As a specialist, I had really struggled with coaching that was more relationship driven, which was what I called feel good coaching, because it feels good, but I knew at the end of the day, it wasn't really impacting instruction and learning. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney, and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. Today in our podcast, we get to hear from two educators in the state of Alabama. And first we're gonna hear from Mr. Elston, who is a teacher at Stemley Road Elementary School, which is in the, in the Talladega County School District. So you know, just right next to the raceway, uh, right, right, right up the road from the school. And Mr. Elston has been teaching in the school for a while and also working with a math coach that is a part of the Amstey Initiative, which you'll hear a little bit more about in our main interview with um, the director of that initiative. So this conversation, we get to hear just from the perspective of a teacher who's working with a coach, specifically math coach, who happens to be a very close colleague. When you say, yeah, 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 very, yeah. Close, yes, very close colleague, but um, which is really fun to hear a little bit about. But Ryan, could you just start us off a little bit and just tell us about your history as an educator? Why'd you become a teacher? I would say, just being honest, being a teacher wasn't always my dream as a child growing up in school. Uh, you know, we always was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I, for some reason, it was like, I really don't know. So, but I knew that being around children has always been a niche of mine. I've just, I gravitate towards them. So right after high school, I was like, you know what? So many people was like, hey, Ryan, I think you need to try teaching. Go into education so many times. Even family members was the same way. And I decided, okay, let's give this a shot. And I can say it's one of the best career decisions that I've made. Uh, I've been teaching for five years now, hopefully, Next year will be my sixth year teaching in um, this school district. And it's been a wonderful experience. It really has challenging, as we all know, it has its challenges, but the reward at the end, it beats it all. So it's been really, really good. You know, it's funny because having been in your classroom, I was lucky enough to be in your classroom during a coaching lab recently. Mm -hmm. And I can see what you mean when you say, that you gravitate towards kids because mm -hmm. of the relationship building you had with students in your classroom and how kind they are with one another and yes. the community you've built. Yes, that's it, it shows that you're there for the kids, right? That's and that yes. was that was why you became a teacher, which makes oh, yes. sense. <laughs> oh yes, oh, ma'am. It's definitely, definitely my go-to is my passion, is try to you know, create a environment where the kids feel welcome, they feel at home, they feel 
not fearful and to say the wrong answer or get up on the board and try to solve whatever. I wanted to create an environment where they just feel like themselves. So it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful. It really yeah. Yes, yeah. So you've been working with Morgan, your math coach, for a little mm -hmm. while. Tell us a little bit about the history of that. How did that all get started and what's it been like? Oh, wow. Uh, it's been, a again, an experience because math, just being honest, hasn't always been my strong subject in school to learn or to teach. I, I tend to run away when it comes to math, especially fifth grade. I know I'm the same way. I taught fifth grade too, Ryan. I, I it was not my strong suit. <laughs> I'm serious. When I because I started out in fourth grade when I first started teaching, then transitioned to fifth grade, and the math in fifth grade is so widespread with so many topics and skills. It's like okay, but when you get into fractions, for some reason, I get scared. But having Morgan Green in the classroom as my math coach has really helped me out a lot. Because of course, with that friendship background that we have, plus we able to work with each other, we just bond and we able to collaborate, bounce off ideas, and she's able to help me see math from a different perspective than I normally do in the classroom. So it's been a really helpful and wonderful experience to have her there. Yeah. So she works in your classroom and co-plans with you as well. Could you just kind of tell our listeners a little bit about just the, the ways or the times you spend together, what those things look like? I have an open door policy. So Morgan Green, she can come in whenever she wants to and say, hey, Elsa, I have this idea. We might could collaborate together right then and there, or sometimes during my planning period, we might collaborate after school. She's really flexible with my schedule as well as me with her. Uh, we come together, we just bounce off ideas and pretty much I'm leading with, I mean, she leads me into what we need to do. Cause I'm like, okay, what do you say? Okay, I just go with whatever you suggest. But she does give me the opportunity to voice my opinion and say, hey, these are your kids. What do you think? So we just, I mean, we just mesh well together, to be honest with you. Have you ever worked with any other coaches beyond Morgan or is that your first experience? I have worked with other coaches outside of Morgan, but mm -hmm. uh, to be honest with you, we just, again, we just jail together. So mm -hmm. I want to say she's my favorite. I want to say that. Oh, but, you're not going to pick you know, favorites. I get it. <laughs> you know, we don't pick favorites, you know. Nope. But at the end of the day, because our relationship and collaboration, just we just mesh. So I, I guess I'm curious as you kind of share that it's very responsive to your needs. It's kind of, you have an open door policy. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tag a couple things, if it's okay with you, that I saw you guys doing together that our listeners will recognize as kind of okay. moves for student-centered coaching, which you may not even be aware of because this is like the, the, <laughs> the behind the curtain coaching stuff. Yes. Which is, okay, yes. <laughs> and I'm going to throw a couple at you and see what you think. And one of the okay. moves we always want to use is noticing and naming, which is really listening to kids mm -hmm. together while we're in the classroom. So mm -hmm. kind of going up to a group and hearing how they're going about solving a problem and then making decisions together. Mm -hmm. and, so, and the second move that I saw when I was in your room was thinking aloud where the two of you come together, even mm -hmm. mid-lesson and mm -hmm. have a little bit of connected conversation just about what are the kids doing? What next? What are we yes. going to do? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. What's your perspective on that? Because that's new to a lot of teachers to have coaches so partnering, so actively partnering with them in the room with 
their kids, like mm -hmm. assessing literally real time and making decisions real time. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your perception is about that. Again, open door policy. I am the type of person and type of teacher, of course, you know, I'm always willing to learn as far as when it comes to for the needs of my kids, any advice, anything like that, I'm welcome to it. So in real time, I really enjoyed that aspect because it gave me, again, another opportunity to see things from a different perspective. Again, the relationship that me and Morgan have, our friendship as colleagues and everything, it just meshed well for us to walk around, assess what's going on, come back together. Hey, I saw this. What do you think? So again, it helps me see things and see the work of my kids from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I really yeah. like that aspect. That's interesting that you point that out because it is overwhelming to, to, to try to capture all that yourself yeah. as an individual yes. and you'll, yes. you're going to miss things. So yes. that's... I have like a second pair of eyes. That's where I really uh -huh. like because like you said, uh -huh. There are some things that she noticed that I didn't notice, especially like with one of my groups where I have, I make my girls. I didn't notice that they was working so well together and was able to solve a problem from their perspective. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way because my focus was on the other groups. But so having her there, having an extra pair of eyes, it just, it really helped me out in the long run. Yeah. Yes, so when I was with you, you were doing a fractions unit. How'd that end up? It, I was really surprised at the end when they took the assessment and everything, how majority of my kids was able to grasp the understanding and the concept of fractions. After uh, the lesson that y'all seen, we was able to collaborate again and discuss what they have learned. And again, their discussions was just amazing. The connection that was able to make as a group, as individuals, on that particular problem it, again it was just really amazing they did more than me when i was a kid learning fractions so i was just i was just amazed i really well was. i know me too i didn't i all i did is learn how to reduce fractions i think that was all we did when when i was in school yes ma'am yes ma'am <laughs> to reduce fractions one set way but it was just it was really good to see their perspective how to solve a problem yeah well, because you really emphasize productive struggle and reasoning as your methods of teaching mathematics in your district and in Amstai as an initiative. So it yes, goes so far beyond what we ever experienced. Oh, At yes. least I'll speak for myself. Yeah, you understand. And for me too, <laughs> I tell you, for me too. So yes. Well, enjoy the rest of this year with your students. I'm sure they... You, I can guess, are a teacher that gets lots of return visitors from graduating students to come back and see you. I do. Yeah. Again, open door policy. They just come in. Hey, Mr. Elston. You know, it's just one of those things I'm like, you know, I don't mind at all because it makes me feel good to have them even come back and see me. So at least I know I'm doing something right. That oh, you are doing a lot right. Thank you for all you do for kids. And we so appreciate talking to you today. Appreciate the opportunity. In today's podcast, we're going to be focusing on supporting teams of coaches. And we chose this topic because we're noticing as we work out in districts and, and states and organizations that a well-supported team of coaches, and by that I mean supported locally um, by the district and organization that's guiding them, 
is making an enormous difference in building the coaching capacity um, among, you know, first, second, even third year coaches. And so we thought we'd kind of try to dig into the secret sauce of supporting teams of coaches. And we are going to be talking today with Robin Blair, who is a regional director with Amstai. And Amstai, she'll tell you a little bit more about it, but it is a Alabama um, statewide initiative focusing on math, science, technology. And so they're doing a lot of amazing work throughout the state of Alabama. And Robin's region seven is one of 11 regions doing this work. And so we've been partnering for some time now, really thinking together about how do we create a, a path of scope and sequence, a path of learning, a way to think about supporting coaches to develop quickly and to build their confidence and their skills. So welcome, Robin. We are so excited to pick your brain today. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit more about Amstai, because I just gave a bit of an overview, but it's such a unique project. All right, well, so Amstai, which stands for the Alabama Math, Science, and Technology Initiative, we are a STEM initiative funded by the Alabama State Department of Education. And as you said, there are 11 sites or regions located across the state. And each of these sites serves public school districts in that region, in the area of math, science, and educational technology. And my region is in the central part of the state where we serve 14 school districts along with two public charter schools, which is approximately 145 school campuses. We have a team of elementary and secondary math and science specialists who in the past, their role has been more like a coach who is attempting to serve multiple schools. And we would have success in pockets, but we just simply did not have the manpower to provide what we know truly impacts student learning. And that is job embedded support through coaching cycles. So during the past two years, we have worked to develop a model in which our math specialists are supporting school-based math coaches in many of our districts. And we are seeing great things happening, even as we are dealing with the missed learning opportunities that our students have faced over the past two years. So now our math specialists are operating more as a team of coaches of coaches instead of attempting to coach individual teachers at so many different schools. It's so cool to see because it's, it's as if the, the school-based math coaches have a guide on the side who's their specialist. And that's not unusual necessarily, but what stands out when I've been there in the schools with these folks is how deep their relationships are and how much they're really literally coaching your coaches. So it's so cool to see. Robin, what's the connection uh, between Amstai and student-centered coaching? Well, Amstai began officially partnering with student-centered coaching in the spring of, I believe it was 2019. We had Diane come to our director's meeting in Gulf Shores to provide some professional learning for the directors and state level type leadership. Then in August, of that same year, we were able to bring in some of Diane's team to work with our specialist at their state meeting. And then the specialist left that meeting charged with the task of trying out a student-centered coaching cycle with a teacher and using the results-based coaching tool. Now at this time, it had not been that long since I had been a high school math specialist for Amstai myself. And as a specialist, I had really struggled with coaching that was more relationship-driven, which was what I called feel-good coaching because it feels good, but I knew at the end of the day, it wasn't really impacting instruction and learning. And then of course, a lot of the models are more teacher-centered coaching, and that just felt very evaluative. It didn't feel good. 
and it generally was not well received by the teachers. So when I learned about student-centered coaching, I felt like we had found what I had been looking for as a specialist that could really make our works more impactful and put the focus where it should be on student learning. So when Amstar had the opportunity through some federal funding in the fall of 2020 to pilot placing and supporting building-based math coaches in a small number of schools across the state, we formed a committee to begin determining what kind of professional learning a new coach should receive. And student-centered coaching became the foundation of that training. And then in the fall of 21, this current school year, we were able to expand that pilot and we invited districts to use some of their funds to partner with us by hiring school-based math coaches that we could support through not only providing the ongoing professional learning on student-centered coaching, but also using our specialists as mentors or those coaches of coaches. How many school-based math coaches would one specialist support? It depends on if it's a first-year coach that they're supporting or a second-year coach. A first-year coach is going to receive more time with a mentoring specialist. So generally, they, we try not to give them more than four to five if they're going to have some year one coaches. I love how you're thinking differentiating based on year one and year two and what the needs are. That's so cool. That's one example of intentionality of how you're supporting these folks. I know that in our district, that was something this last summer that we started to, to make a shift towards because we realized we, have, we had more first-year coaches again, like we do every so often. And some of our, some of our more experienced coaches are just tacking on more and more years. And so the thought of the thought of our boss supporting everyone the same is that's just not going to work. Um, it's not sustainable that no, way. No, it's not. Way. It's not at all. Anything about that, even with instruction in the classroom, right? Like, are you going to teach just one way to every kid you have, even though they're all completely different learners and at different levels, it just, it's not going to work. So I love that you guys have that tiered approach. That's really great. Yeah, our goal is that eventually we'll have these coaches that have been with us for a while and they'll become mentoring coaches too. Even if they're not an Amstar specialist, they can still mentor the new coaches so that we can just keep growing it. So out of curiosity, when you're referring to mentor coaches, and this is since I'm not very familiar with Amstar, so I know people outside of the state of Alabama are not as well. So they also are coaches or what you call specialists in other buildings, but they also just serve a mentor role for first and second year coaches? At this time, their primary role is just to be a mentoring coach or a mentoring specialist, as we call them. In the past, they served as a, as a building coach themselves in multiple buildings, but in their new role, they are primarily focused on working with coaches and mentoring them. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Thank so you. So coaching coaches is their primary role. Uh-huh. Yes. Not that they don't coach teachers at times, but their primary focus of their work is coaching the coaches. Truly capacity building approach. Yes. Because what you said earlier stands out that you could all be running around as specialists trying to coach in many schools, but that just didn't work, right? Because you're spread too thin. So you, just to summarize, you partnered with the, with the state, they hired school-based math coaches, and now the specialist role has shifted to be the coach of those folks. Lots of layers, but I think that that makes it a little bit more clear. I think our work has become much more purposeful and much more impactful through this model. When we only had 10 specialists trying to serve 145 campuses, you can't be affected that way. Yes, 10 across 145. Take that in. I mean, that's not gonna be coaching. This just isn't.
So I know a little bit about your academy and the coaching community. Can you tell us a little bit about each of those and, and what that looks like? Imagine you're speaking to a, a new hire or somebody who you're saying, you'll be a math coach. This is what we're going to provide you as support. What we've done is we've started creating a three-year model of support for coaches. And in that model, we include a coaching academy each year, followed up by monthly coaching communities throughout the school year. The academy is built on three pillars, coaching, leadership, and content and pedagogy. During the monthly coaching communities, we bring all of the coaches together for additional professional learning. But more importantly, it gives them a time for the coaches to share their successes and their struggles and receive support from each other. And the coaching academy and community are absolutely important. But the feedback that we're receiving from the coaches is that having the mentoring specialist or mentoring coach has been the most valuable piece of their support. You know, we've all seen the research on the effectiveness of job embedded support through coaching for teachers. So we're just taking that same model and using it for coaching coaches. So for a first year coach who's from a district who has signed a partnership agreement with us for support, our goal is to have a mentoring specialist with that coach in the school at least two days a week. And then we cut that back to one day a week for our year two coaches. And in, in year three, the mentoring coach will be on call and able to provide some support virtually. So if additional funding comes through or more districts partner with us, then we'll be able to continue to grow the number of coaches that we can support. And then we also built into that coaching academy is support for school and district administrators on leading student-centered coaching in their buildings. That piece is so important. Their feedback to you has been that the more, um, the most valuable part of all three. So you have professional learning through the academy. You have kind of like a coach PLC through the community. And then you have coaching through the, the specialists being on site with, with these new math coaches. And they're saying that on-site work is the most powerful. That is what we hear constantly, which is what we believe about the support we provide teachers. Sitting in a professional learning opportunity doesn't have the impact that that job embedded side-by-side -side coaching does. And so we're yeah. seeing the same thing by providing that to our coaches also. What does that look like when a mentor is sitting side-by-side -side with a coach on those two days a week? So they may be working on some of the things that they learned in the last coaching community, such as a move that they want to practice. And they may also be, the coach of coaches may be doing some micro-modeling and in fact, the first coaching cycle of the school year, we always have the mentoring coach lead that coaching cycle with the teacher so that the building-based math coach can observe a full coaching cycle before she leads one. That's a really fascinating model. I, I've never heard anything like this before, and I just think that that is really cool. It's been exciting to work with. So you said even like as they're sitting side by side, they're even maybe working through some certain moves that they can try and they are, so they're kind of doing their own PD to the coach right there. What does that look like at one layer up? Like with you and the mentors and other coaches, do you guys have meetings where you guys kind of work through different coaching moves and stuff like that? Or is that kind of put more on the one-on-one the -on -one level with the mentor? We, we supported our specialist the past two years in growing their knowledge of student-centered coaching. So they were practicing all of these things, all the coaching moves, the student-centered coaching with using the results-based coaching tool for two years before they began mentoring another coach on how to use it. We also do have a PLC across the state for AMSTI specialists that are mentoring specialists, and they can meet monthly to prepare for the upcoming coaching communities and any support that they're providing to coaches in the buildings. It just sounds like layers upon layers of support, which 
you can never go wrong with, I've never heard someone say that they have too much support. So I, I just, I, I, I like this a lot. I just want to share a couple fun anecdotes that exemplifies that. One is that I'm seeing the Amstai math, the, the site school-based math coaches who are receiving all of this support developing so much quicker than a lot of us. And their confidence and their skill is so fast. We have a couple of videos of some of these coaching um, math coaches engaging in coaching on our YouTube channel. And these, some of these coaches have only been coaching four months and they're knocking it out of the park because of, I think that those layers of support. So it's, it's really showing up and the coaches feel so much love too, you know, and that's, that's also because it's Alabama. There's always a lot of love to go around in Alabama, but the, um, they just feel a huge amount of support. Like you said, Brandon, it's really cool to see. So clearly from the state level down, coaching is supported. I mean, that's pretty evident by this program, yeah. right? With Amstai. So if, if we get like in the weeds of it and we, we turn this upside down, is there a lot of work that even these first year coaches are getting in their buildings? Like, so you think about like the admin side to each building and the teachers, do they see that same value in coaching that the state sees? I think in some buildings they do. And that is something that we are working on is to build another layer in for the administrators and provide that support for them. And that's been, an, it's been hard this year with COVID. Administrators have had a lot on them along with teachers, but that is something that we want to work on in the future is building other, another layer and supporting the administrators in the building so they understand the value of coaching and how it can impact student learning. Because you are speaking to that X factor of the principal coach partnership, Brandon. So you can support and build skill among teams of coaches all day long. And if that piece isn't in place, then they're going to be highly skilled, but sitting in a school that doesn't have a culture for coaching, for example. Right. Maybe teachers who are resistant. It's cool that you guys are also taking a look at the, at the principal piece of all of this. What's that work going to look like once, you know, things get back to normal? We're, we will be inviting the school administrators to attend a day or two of the coaching academy each year with the coach. And then they will also have their ongoing PLC where they are involved in some of the same work that the coaches are, but just on the administrator side. That's going to be really valuable for them. Yes. I like that yeah. a lot. So great. We've been doing coaching laps with these folks too. That's another way we've been providing support. Um, can you just share a little bit? I can talk all day long about coaching labs, but Robin, I'm curious what your take is on the process and how it's been developing another way to create conversations and just really reflection on coaching. Well, I have to say, I truly believe it's the favorite thing that we've done all year. And it was kind of like this culminating activity for our year one coaches to have all this learning and be in their schools working with their mentoring coach, but then have the opportunity to be together and observe their peers in a coaching lab. So recently we were able to bring Diane to Alabama to facilitate coaching labs in two of our schools. Uh, the participants were our mentoring specialist and the building-based math coaches that they are supporting. And so the first host was a year one math coach who was willing to just step out there and go for it. And we were able to observe some of the time in her classroom with students and then the debrief with the teacher, the building-based math coach, and the mentoring specialist as they sorted student evidence and planned next instructional steps. And then the second host, we got to see one of our year two math coaches. And we observed the same parts of the coaching cycle, 
But in the debrief with the year two coach, it was just her and the teacher. So the mentoring specialist was not even in the picture. And so she was in the background and ready to provide support as needed. And I love that we were able to see in action how we slowly pull back our support that is provided by the mentoring specialist and how easily just a, even just a year two coach was able to lead that as beautiful as one of our mentoring specialists could. She was saying, I didn't know this at year one and I wouldn't have done it this way in year one. And now in year two, I feel more comfortable taking this approach. And so she was reflecting a lot on her first and second year as a school-based math coach. Coaching labs are, they're by far my favorite piece of learning since I had become a coach six years ago. There's like, to me, there's nothing better, right? Because it's, it's all real time doing the work and seeing others that you work with do the same work. Thinking about a first year coach hosting a lab, that takes so much vulnerability on their part. I think just the, the empathy that we naturally have in us as educators, I always, as a coach, think about the teacher and how vulnerable they have to be to allow that for all the other coaches. But for a first year coach, that is amazing. And I just think that there's gonna be so much growth that comes from that. If our listeners are curious about coaching labs, we also have a video on our YouTube channel around that's just a description of the process. So that might be helpful if you're curious of what, what even is a coaching lab. Um, jump over there and check it out. Even though you guys are a statewide initiative, you guys are offering multiple layers of support for coaches. What do you think um, district leaders could take from the approach you guys have used for them to offer support within their own district for their coaches? Right now, we are supporting about 25 building-based coaches, which is like running a district size. And I think what one thing we have learned the most is that you can't just give them the professional learning. You have to layer in the PLC structure with the coaching communities. You have to give them a structure for them to support each other and to be supported by that mentoring coach. I think that's where the true learning has come in. Another thing that we have found and probably my number one tip would be go slow to go fast later. We made the mistake in the beginning of trying to give our coaches all the information that we could cram into the coaching academy and the coaching communities because it all felt so important. We kept saying, well, they have to know this and they have to know this. And it was overwhelming to the new coaches. We weren't providing them with enough time to experience the coaching. And I think that's what adding the community does and also adding the mentoring specialist. In our team, we always talk about having to drink through a fire hose. And I think that's yes. exactly what. And when you have to drink through a fire hose, you don't always get a lot in your mouth. And it also doesn't feel very good. <laughs> right. What you just said stands out that experience had to go along with learning about the practices. So it had to be stretched out over time. So you chunk the learning. Let's study this move in this community coaching community meeting. Now let's and practice it and talk about it and do it with our mentoring coach. And then let's go and do the next move and talk about it and practice it and learn it and do it with. So it's super gradually implemented move by move by move. Correct. Is that what you would say, Robin? Yes, so at each coaching community, we usually introduce one of the coaching moves at that community during the year one process. And so as the coaches receive that professional learning on a move, then they are asked to practice that particular move before they come back to the next coaching community. Now, of course, the goal is that eventually they'll use the moves naturally and fluidly in their coaching. But when they're learning about a specific coaching move, such as thinking aloud, it's important to practice it and be intentional so that they just don't know about thinking aloud. 
but they know how it feels and when to use it. So that's what those coaching communities and mentoring specialists provide is another level to actually know how to feel those things. And they know those moves better than I do. I swear. <laughs> they are pretty impressive. Do you have any other advice for folks who are like in that supporting coaching role? Besides, I love the go slow to go fast. Any other little words of wisdom? Don't ever think that you can't provide enough support to your coaches. I know we were talking about how many layers we have, but I still at times feel like we're not giving them everything that, that they need or everything that we could. So I think the going slow to go fast is, is number one, but then just keep providing all the support you can. I feel like support is a constant theme throughout this conversation, which like has been said, you can never have too much of it. So the fact that they are receiving all the support from you, from Amstai, um, as an initiative, it's going to be nothing but grow them as coaches, which ultimately affects student learning, which is what we're all here for. So those layers of support are are going to much needed places for sure. We believe so. Thanks so much, Robin, for joining us today. It's been so fun to just hear a little bit more about the work um, and get to share it with others. Thank you for having me. It was nice meeting you, Robin. Thanks for being here. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SCCoachingPod.